Joso. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. Hello world is a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Welcome back. It's another month. It's another TV Talkaholics. Here we are, September 2022. Hello, beloved Tutti Fruities. This is David, and Matthew is also on the horn with me. Hello, David. Or should I give you, I should give you um, the energy level of the Partridge family. Okay, please do. Hello, David. <laughs> Oh, this month we we have hit upon such a Lulu of a show, and I am I I cannot contain Matthew how fucking excited I am to talk about the Partridge Family and uh and this wonderful episode where Charlotte Ray was the guest, and and I, I want to get to it. I'm so fucking excited. I kind of threw this at you via text i was like oh my god i found this and sent you the text and i just went this is too perfect we have mm -hmm. to do it period so mm -hmm. i do not have any type of a gauge as far as i don't know if we've ever talked about the show was this a, a big show for you growing up david we always remember our first time don't we and um i'm happy to say that you popped my partridge cherry. What? I had never sat through an episode. And thanks to you, I never want to sit through another one. <laughs> oh no, my God. I shouldn't say, oh no, I should say, oh yes. I am so happy to have introduced this to you. How was this popular? Oh, oh, we we can talk about it. We All can right. talk. There is there's a lot going on here, much going on. Um, so let's let's jump right on in. Uh, this is season three, episode six of the Partridge Family. You're only young twice, which had an original air date of October twentieth, nineteen seventy two. The Partridge Family series itself ran from nineteen seventy to nineteen seventy four. How? <laughs> I will tell you how. It was on after the Brady Bunch. It was kind of the OG Friday night family block before TGIF was a thing on ABC. This was what CBS was doing. Brady Bunch had premiered the year before in 1969. And then this came along and was the perfect, perfect companion to it. And Wait, it was on CBS? Yes. I thought the Brady Bunch was on ABC. No, sir. Oh, you oh, sure? you have to look it up and verify me? Yeah. Are you are you mm -hmm. Googling something, questioning what I'm telling? How dare you, sir? And the only reason I say that is because I have a Brady Bunch album. And in it, they have a, like a, demo where they say catch us on the do re mi episode on abc tv oh god now you do have me doubting myself i thought it was cbs on abc suck my partridge david <laughs> it was abc 
A, B, C. Okay, wow. So this was truly the OG TGI Friday. Because the the well-known later TGI Friday in the 90s with Step by Step and Perfect Strangers and all that, that was all. That was ABC, correct? I don't even know. I don't dare state anything based on my knowledge anymore. I'm just interested if that will stay in the show. I'm just wondering if that part's going to end up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> well, okay. You've already, you you got it. Because here's the funny thing, Matthew. One thing it did not occur to me to do in all the stuff I, I do to prepare, I forgot to look up October 20th, 1972 mm. to see what else was on the telly. Well, we'll have to suffer and know that Nothing was on if you were watching this. <laughs> oh, my God. But um, uh, the reason why I am just so excited about this, I, I have to contextualize and personalize this. Um, you I have was, to make this about you. Okay, go ahead. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Um, born in 68. So when this premiered, I was two. Mm. But I had a sister who was three years older. She was five. So between the ages of five and nine, for her, and then me by extension, this lineup of the Brady Bunch and then the Partridge family, it was the biggest deal in our house. She was obsessed with David Cassidy. She had all the posters, all the Tiger Beats. I think she had the lunchbox. Uh, his music was always playing in our house in my formative toddler years. And, you know, as a younger brother, I was into what my sister was into. So uh, it was therefore, by extension, a big thing for me. And uh, interestingly, in the reruns, I did gravitate back towards the Brady Bunch. I know the Brady Bunch very, very well mm -hmm. as a series. This is not a show that I know well or that I watched a lot of in reruns. I didn't even remember Charlotte Ray was on this. Well, the Brady Bunch, I feel like, had a much more broad syndication level. Like, it played on, like, TBS. It played on, like, it, it, was, it was on, like, Fort Wayne's channel. Like, the, we had 55, WFTV 55. And that was like one of those like local channels, like it became the Fox affiliate. You know what I mean? So I feel like Brady Bunch had a much more broad syndication than the um, Partridge family. And I mean, from this one episode, I can see why. <laughs> so you didn't enjoy this. Well, well, it, well. It was weird, David. Like it was just, there were so many weird things things about it <laughs> wasn't it yeah i couldn't even take notes i have no notes up on my screen because i'm just i was just like what it, who what, <laughs> where why the uh, director um sound engineer who uh i mean okay finish your nuts and bolts because i have one big question about this that okay i i need answered Okay, well, we're, we're going to do this kind of uh, office lady style. I've got a lot of fast facts. This is literally uh, the lazy man's research of, I looked at two websites that no one has ever, ever referred to, Wikipedia and IMDb. Okay. 
But the series was loosely based on the real-life musical family called the Cowslips. <laughs> what the fuck is that? What's that uh, for a name? Can you imagine? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cowslips. But that's <laughs> they were famous. They were a singing family, and they considered using them, but just none of them had any acting experience. And yet, here we are. With <laughs> Okay, I, I loved the, I loved reading that that was an excuse for not using them when we had the people in this show that were <laughs> in the show. Okay, go ahead. Okay, uh, this takes place. I did not know this. It takes place in the fictitious town of San Pueblo, California, yes. which is allegedly 40 miles from Napa Valley. Yes, and but this is not according to the unaired pilot that took place in Ohio. Correct. I would love to see that unaired pilot. Okay, so let's talk about this unaired pilot thing, because that is also one of my fast facts. Uh, According to this, the unaired pilot, uh, Shirley is named Connie. She has a boyfriend played by her real life husband at the time, Jack Cassidy. Yes. And uh, and like you said, they're from Ohio. They're not from California. So it's a bigger journey they've made to their fame and fortune. Uh, so I'm just like, okay, I'm not doubting that that exists. I'm just <laughs> questioning where does that fall in the timetable? Because I have verified from multiple sources, including Shirley Jones and David Cassidy in interviews that you can find on YouTube where... Shirley Jones was cast in the show. So they were developing it and she got it. David Cassidy was her stepson. She had raised him, but he was 19 at this point. He wasn't living at home. He was out doing his own thing and making a living as an actor. And according to him, he read for this TV show to play some role of the teenage son. And he had done five different auditions. And the fifth one was the screen test, like down to him and one other guy. And it was now to see how he played with the other people who were going to be likely cast in the show. He showed up to that soundstage for his screen test. And Shirley Jones was there. And he's like, hi, what are you doing here? And she she already knew he was going to be there. They did clear it through her. But she's like, "Uh, I'm going to be playing your mother again. And he said, should we tell them? And she was like, no, no, let's not. That's according to him. According to her, they already knew and she already knew and had cleared it through him. But where in the timetable of this David Cassidy not knowing about this pilot or this role when both his stepmother and his dad are, it's it's not even in the trades. He didn't even read somewhere that... I just think it's weird. Well, David Cassidy drank a lot. I mean, he did. He did. He did drink himself to death, if we're being honest. Mm, um, very true. Yep, I saw that too. So, yeah. I mean, you know, but, it's, it could be one of those things. Like, I mean, I don't know how much I believe that Elaine Stritch was actually auditioned for the Golden Girls. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. are, are these are these slightly show business stories or? revisionist history yeah Yeah, it it does make a better story for david cassidy to be like i had no idea my mother was gonna be my mother you know oh no i hear it i i hear i totally hear that um so for those who've been living under a rock and are like i still don't know what in the world this show is that they've been talking about the partridge family is a, a family show 
about a musical family that also acts as a band. And the episodes often contrast suburban life with the adventures of the family on the road. After the first season, more of the show's action takes place in the family's hometown than on tour. And uh, not unlike the monkeys, this was a completely fabricated musical entity where they had songwriters and good songwriters, well-known songwriters, and the wrecking crew playing the instruments and studio singers. And uh, in the pilot, David Cassidy's voice is dubbed because they had already hired a singer because they didn't know that the actor they hired also happened to play guitar and sing. Uh, so... Uh, for that reason, they became not just a popular TV show. And Matthew, I think the answer to your earlier question is that they were also on the radio. It was a synergy tie-in thing where, well, we listen to the music, we watch the TV show. And um, and see on the show, is it going to be a song that we recognize that they're going to play? Or is it going to be something new that hasn't come out yet? Well, and this was also, this came out and you talked about how the Brady Bunch was the lead in after the success of this, they tried to turn the Brady's into a fucking singing group. Yes, so they did. It, I get, I get it, but at least the Brady's did their own singing for God's sake. Yeah. And for better or worse. I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Some would argue for worse, but um, yeah. So the, the whole big thing with this was not only were they, uh, a TV show, not only were they in our living room, but the, the fictional family that were singing the very real hit songs uh, were, you know, were kind of a, a sensation. We had the teen idol status of David Cassidy and Susan Day. Shirley Jones was an Academy Award winner and had been a big movie star previous to this. So having her on the show was kind of a get. This was sort of a the early days of... Uh, you know, saying like a, like a, you know, Fred McMurray or somebody who was already established on film deciding to slum it and do television. But thank God she did, man. Talk about. She's the only redeeming thing in this entire show. Mm -hmm. She's I... just delightful. She's beautiful. First of all, gorgeous, just great feet. God, just fucking features like nobody's business her eyes are amazing and we know she's a singer and she's she's just so natural it makes it it almost ruins the rest of the, the show <laughs> because she's so so normal and natural in her acting and everybody else is on a different like oh where was the director oh. yeah nope you're right you are you are not wrong so as a, as a fake musical group, they released eight albums between 1970 and 1970, I guess, 74. Um, and uh, yeah, they had a lot. The Billboard charts, get this. The first album was called the Partridge Family Album. The album was number four. Next album, Up to Date, number three. Sound Magazine, number nine. Partridge Family Christmas Card, which came out in 71, number one. Jesus. Shopping bag was 18. That's the first time we get into double digits here. And do these albums, like, do they, did they sell with like Susan Day on the cover? Like the actors from the show? Yeah, absolutely. With pictures that, of the actors. We're not on them. Just like the, just like Marnie Nixon, her album of my fair lady has Audrey Hepburn 
Correct. The yeah. Cover of it. Yeah, they're just the figurehead. But then inside it says, well, you know, what were these people paid? I've gotta know. All of the artists were credited in all that, and it probably just says the Partridge family are Shirley Jones, David Cassidy, Susan Day. Watch them Friday nights on ABC. But um, yeah, no, no, their picture absolutely is on the cover of of all of these albums. Uh, Partridge Family Notebook was number 41. And then Crossword Puzzle was 167. So we, we see a peak and a very strong diminishing rate of returns. And I cut and pasted and I didn't, uh, I missed the information. Bulletin Board was the last one they did. And uh, I, I don't have the stats on that, but it wasn't good. So, um, yeah. Uh, the series was uh, created by Bernard Slade. He was a Canadian playwright and screenwriter. He wrote The Flying Nun. He consulted on the courtship of Eddie's father. And he also wrote the play Same Time Next Year. And also oh. the play Romantic Comedy. And he wrote the film adaptations. Same time next year. That's one of those plays that they'll do it like the Poinciana Playhouse with, <laughs> with Loretta Swit and Hal Linden. <laughs> so, so true. It's like love letters. Yep. And he wrote a sequel. He wrote a sequel to it too. Same time another year, which is like the next series of decades where they're elderly and stuff. It's, it's yeah, it's <laughs> something. That one I've only ever seen produced at the Mark II Dinner Theater in Orlando, believe it or not. And people wonder why that theater closed. Yeah. And you know who starred in it? Oh, God. Bill Hayes and Susan Seaforth Hayes, who were both uh, on Days of Our Lives. They were both soap stars of yesteryear. Got to get the butts in the seats. So continuing with sort of the, the arc of the show, of the series as a whole, um, this is from IMDb. The show proved popular, but the fame took its toll on several, if not most, of the starring cast, particularly David Cassidy. In the midst of his rise to fame, Cassidy soon felt stifled by the show and trapped by the mass hysteria surrounding his every move. In May 1972, he appeared nude on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, he did. In a cropped Annie Leibovitz photo. Yeah, he did. He used the article to get away from his squeaky clean image. The article mentioned that Cassidy was riding around New York in the back of a car, quote, stoned and drunk, end quote. David, are you just reading the Wikipedia page to our listeners? I'm reading this this little, I thought this anecdote was nice and concise and I couldn't say it any better. But inside the magazine, like the the, the nude cover was one thing, but inside the, the, the centerfold, as it were, mm -hmm. that's the pube shot, ladies and gentlemen. If you have not seen the David Cassidy picture where he is stripped down and it's cropped right at the right below the fun zone. It's like, well, yeah, it wasn't just the hair on their head they were wearing long back in the 70s, apparently. Mm. I, I believe the original release of it was a scratch and sniff. <laughs> <clears throat> but they they learned from their mistake because they did that with that picture of Yoko Ono and John Lennon. Oh, that was that was scratch and sniff. And it went, uh, it no. It smelled like patchouli and balls. <laughs> Which isn't as good a combination as I'm making it sound. <laughs> but I remember reading uh, or hearing in interviews that 
David Cassidy's thing was that he did play guitar. He was musical. His dad was Jack Cassidy, big Broadway star, Tony Award winner and all that. And he's like, yeah, I did want to be a pop star. I wanted to be Jimi Hendrix. I didn't want to be 1960s cheesy Elvis. But but you are, Blanche, you are. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, a, you're a white kid from an, let's say, upper middle class family. Okay. Uh, very privileged Hollywood royalty, <laughs> you could argue. Yeah. Oh, poor thing. You, yeah. You wanted to be Jimi Hendrix. Oh, well, I'm sorry. You didn't get insanely famous the way you wanted to get insanely famous. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. And by all accounts, like his memoir and and you see in interviews and stuff, he's not all that circumspect about it. He's kind of been recorded as being a little bit arrogant and a dick and entitled and doesn't. He's not like Adam West, where Adam West became famous doing one thing. He was in on the joke and he said, I am playing this joke and I'm always going to be winking at the audience. And Adam West did that till the day he died. And I I believe Adam West died an infinitely happier man than David Cassidy did. Yeah, David Cassidy, he didn't have the greatest life towards the end there. No, he was faking that he had dementia when he was forgetting lyrics to songs in concert. He was faking dementia when in fact it was just his alcoholism had just gotten so out of control and you know david cassidy died in 2017 at age 67 of liver and kidney failure yeah so yeah that's a person that loves the drink and uh yeah their debut single i think i love you was number one hit i think i love you so what am i so afraid of Oh. <laughs> you're singing it like starship is that you're, what it is you're you're welcome <laughs> i'm saying i'm singing it like the cow slits would have no sills cow sills cow Dever, beverly sills would yeah, have that that's what she said yes <laughs> uh yeah well how would judy garland have have sung i i think i love you so what am i so afraid of <laughs> Oh, this thing I am not sure of. She would have been awesome singing that. Jeez. Wow. And uh, another one they did, Breaking Up is Hard to Do. That was another big hit for them. That was a a cover of a Neil Sedaka hit already. Um, But yeah, so many, many, many hits. And I, I still love them. And to me, the thing that stands out about them is whoever produced their music they clearly said, okay, this is right now in a weird time where it's, you know, where it's not the 60s anymore and all the psychedelic shit is not quite in fashion. And we're at the dawn of the the singer-songwriter like your Carly Simons and your Janice Ian's. So kind of what was what was bubblegum pop? What was family-friendly pop supposed to sound like in 1972? And mm. they they you know, they were all sitting around a table and they looked at each other and said, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And the others all said, yep, harpsichord. Mm. And that yeah. is kind of the thing that is the through line of all of their music is the harpsichord sound, which is fucking weird. And yet it works. 
Well, it's a, it, it was before the time of um, needing more cowbell. There was somebody <laughs> in that recording studio going, I need more harpsichord. Yeah. <laughs> give, me mo- give me more harpsichord. I got a fever and the only prescription is more harpsichord. <laughs> oh, um, bless. Um, they had to replace Chris after the first season. Because he was a dick, apparently. How a six-year-old kid had personality conflicts. It was hated by everybody in the cast and everyone on set. It's like, what kind of a little fucker were you, Jeremy uh, Gelblax? I'd like to talk to him. Gelblax, G-E-L-B-W-A-K-S. I'm sorry, with that name, you are not allowed in fucking show business. Yeah, you need to fire your agent. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Charlotte Lubotsky had to change her name to Charlotte Ray, but Jeremy Gelblax, for fuck's sake. Anyway, he was replaced with a better named Brian Forster. And uh, yeah, they also had a dog in the first season, just like Tiger. They were like, okay, having a dog around, it's just, it's a pain in the ass. Lose the dog. Done. Oh, I just love like these things that we laugh at now are the kind of things that you're having a fit over with the show Bible of the facts <laughs> of life. <laughs> but when we talk about the, yeah, they got rid of the dog halfway yeah. through. There was a dog and they, they got rid of it. Well, yeah. But we, we don't see over our heads in an episode and you're like losing your mind. God damn Who right. is minding the star? I uh, got priorities. Yeah. Where's say. the dog? Do you know what the dog's name was on the Partridge family? Um, was the dog's name Gwellblax or whatever? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hence, they they got rid of him, the kid, and the dog. Both of you, no Gwellblax is on this fucking set. <laughs> it was uh, they emo. took took all their aggression out on that dog. Oh, bless. So then at the beginning of the fourth season, four-year-old neighbor Ricky Stevens, played by Ricky Siegel, was featured and would sing a children's song during most episodes, but the character was dropped mid-season. The cousin Oliver. Ding, 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 ding. Of the Partridge family. Exactly. (laughs) And this kid was adorable. He was adorable. But that whole thing of, oh God, our our quote-unquote young kids... Ugh, they're about to turn eight. You know, they're getting a little long in the tooth. It can't be a family show if we don't have a little, little kid. And I, I just don't understand. I don't understand. I, I need to take a look at season four because it, I, uh, I can't imagine it being much worse than, <laughs> than what we witnessed, but okay. So this played Fridays at 8.30 after the Brady Bunch, like I said. On ABC on abc you were right um uh, the final season though they moved it to saturday at 8 p.m opposite all in the family yeah in 1974 and you have to wonder if like they were sitting around the table and they announced that to the cast and somebody with enough show business knowledge like shirley jones was like well, this was fun while it lasted. Yeah, bye-bye now. <laughs> so this is our last season, everybody? Okay, thank yeah. you, ABC, for killing this show. Yeah, Saturday night was where shows went to die because you could not compete with All in the Family, Mary Tyler Moore. It was Saturdays were dominated by CBS. 
Hence, Partridge Family could not be a CBS show. But in those four seasons, Matthew, they were able to produce 96 episodes, a perfectly uh, legitimate and acceptable amount of episodes for syndication. And it was syndicated, but like you said, it just somehow didn't quite, <laughs> on the second viewing, it didn't have quite as much charm as the Brady Bunch had. <sighs> so continuing with the nuts and bolts, this episode in particular, You're Only Young Twice, it was written by Susan Silver. She wrote for Love American Style, Maud. She wrote five episodes of The Mary Tyler Moore Show. Uh, she had already written one episode of The Partridge Family. She would go on to write for The Bob Newhart Show. And she would also produce Square Pegs later. And the episode was directed by Lee Phillips. This is his first of two episodes of The Partridge Family. He has 72 credits in a 32-year career as a director. As an actor, he has 54 credits in a 23-year career, tons of roles, tons of TV shows that he directed. He was in the 1957 movie melodrama Peyton Place. He was one of the actors in that. I've got to say, for you talking about the quality of the show, did you look on YouTube? There are a couple of amazing spoofs of it. Of this episode? Of The Partridge Family. Uh, There's an no, episode I... of the rerun show where they do it. Yeah. And, and Danny Bonaducci plays Danny. And Paul Vogt plays Shirley Jones, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no. Doesn't he? He's Chris. He's Chris. And the girl and the guy that played Joe in the Facts of Life uh, spoof on the rerun show, it plays Tracy. And they, you know, Paul Vogt is so good at bad non-acting when he turns that on. He's just like, hey, Keith. Why did you go to the store? And just, I mean, ugh. and then when they're doing the, the them playing the instruments, they're like, their hands aren't even touching the keyboards. They're, they're faking the instruments so terribly. <laughs> so uh, I recommend that. And I tried to find it. I didn't see, but I, I didn't look that hard. When Susan Day was on Saturday Night Live, they did a hilarious Partridge Family spoof where all the Brady kids come in. So it was kind of a a big, well-known, uh, memorable sketch that they did there. Uh, again, Susan Day doing Lori Partridge in like 1994. And Just once again, David, the Partridge Family rerun show, Paul Vogt plays Shirley Partridge. Then they must have done it more than once. Because I, oh, so you must be right. I, well, no, this this isn't informational. This is I watched it. I actually watched it. Wait a minute, let me find it. Okay, there are two episodes. There, are there two. you go. Okay, but so he yeah. does play Shirley in one. I want to see that. I didn't see that on YouTube. <laughs> I typed in rerun show Partridge Family, and it's the first one. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the one. If and Tracy doesn't even have any lines. She just like spastically slaps the tambourine off the beat. Well, that's, so they got the original actress. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Um, general thoughts about the series. As I've said, uh, it was so important growing up. This is one of those shows that was so, so prevalent and present and ubiquitous in our home where I was raised. This show has such a near and dear place in my heart. 
And like most of those shows, you watch it as an adult and it is just unwatchable. It's terrible. Uh, I do recall watching some episodes, Matthew, and uh, this episode contradicts the opinion I'm about to state. I had always been of the belief that Shirley Jones was just a little bit extended and just a little couple of ticks too big on the screen when she played Shirley Partridge. And I don't remember what I'm basing that on or what, what I had seen, but I will say watching this episode, I was like, oh, well, that's she's she's awesome. She is fan fucking tastic here. I don't know where that other thing came from, other than at the end of the episode when they're doing the song. Arguably, she is one of the worst. <laughs> Insofar as who, like you say, director was, was there a director who said, if you're standing there playing the piano, your shoulders are not going up and down. You hear, am I, is the sound different on my microphone because I'm bopping up and down? But the amount of physical bopping that she does in her close-ups and how she oversells the ah, I'm losing you, I mean, it's like, girl, you are an actual singer. You know you don't have to open your mouth that widely to produce a sound. Well, and especially somebody who made her career with movie musicals where she spent her life lip-syncing to herself. At, Hello. At, at, on movie sets, so yeah, that is interesting. But I, I, I can't put my finger on if she was the tick too much, or if the like they were her and the kids were just on different level. Every kid was on a different level, and she was on a different level, and it, it none of it worked together. Hmm. And so that was I, and I don't, I don't know how to fix it. I just know that it, everybody was uneven. Like I feel I need, like, like David Cassidy and Susan Day were were doing a good job. I thought they were both on Quaaludes, for God's sake. <laughs> like I was like that poor sound guy because Keith Partridge's lines were delivered like this. Uh, so what's up, Bob? What's <laughs> what, what's what's gonna happen with Danny? Okay. Uh He's going to go out on a double date with us. Okay. And then what's her pussy? Um, Susan Maury. Day. La La over here. Um, she get, shouldn't she go on to do LA Law in that Susan yes, Day? Yes, correct. Okay. So Susan Day over here is like, would you like to see what I got at the store? <laughs> okay. And they go upstairs. And I just, oh, I was just. I'm like, not saying you're wrong, but I don't think they were. So I think there was some chemistry there between Shirley, Keith and Lori and Danny, Danny Bonaducci. He was a funny kid. He had great comic timing when they was, him a joke was, that was worth anything. Okay. I'm going to, oh, I don't know if I should say this, David. Say it. He's so hideous to look at oh bugger that it's that it's uncomfortable like he he's un yes he's funny he delivered his lines he knew the assignment but he's so uncomfortable to look at for me like it, that weird hair that gross hair that looked like it hadn't been washed in a week <laughs> so I, I was like he looks greasy he looks dirty 
but I think, you know, I watched the Brady Bunch and I'm like, girl, you all need to wash your hair. <laughs> like they all look like they just haven't showered in a couple of days. And, but I, I just, oh, he was so uncomfortable to watch because it's like watching Danny DeVito. He's uncomfortable to watch because of how he's built. Not because sure. he's short, but because he's all arms and he's gangly. You know, he's like him and Bette Midler are built the same. They're all, they've got these gangly arms yeah. and it, fascinates me because I was watching him it's like watching a stunted adult that I don't, oh, I, I don't okay. know okay no no I, I can see that this isn't part of your assertion that gingers have no soul I figured that went without saying okay I'm sorry maybe I, I shouldn't have said it then but anyway uh, I, I, I get it I totally kind of see where you're coming from that and i don't hate danny bonaducci i don't i i don't care it was just how i thought i was like uncomfortable watching it <laughs> uncomfortable watching him yeah like uh gabe kaplan for me i'm uncomfortable watching him because he's so gross yeah and i've said it before i'll say it again it's nothing against how he looks or anything like that it's for me he's uncomfortable to watch like studio execs told judy garland she was uncomfortable to watch Mm -hmm. for people and they don't want you in their house judy so this is why we're canceling your show that's when she called jack kennedy and said would you have be comfortable having me in your house in front of the studio execs but anyway that's an old story but <laughs> i just i like i'm uh, she he is a puke that is that is my word oh, okay for it. i've used it before he's just a puke and the costuming is not helping to see any person that you're not comfortable watching dressed in full tilt 1972 uh, beyond fucking fugly ass shitty awful polyester mismatched colors mismatched seasons i mean just terrible awful fashion of the era combined with terrible awful costuming of a tv show I just like, was anybody comfortable in the seventies? <laughs> I watch a lot of the old early eighties prices, right? And I see these outfits and I'm like, was it, like the seventies, this show, everybody's shirts look so tight in the armpits. And if there's one thing I hate, it's a tight in the armpit shirt. I'm like, nope, get it off me. I yeah. can't handle that. But it just, everybody's tight in the armpits. Everybody's got shoes on that just look horribly uncomfortable. And like you said, polyester, for God's sake. And not a pair of blue jeans in sight that I recall. All of the kids are either in corduroys or chino pants. It's like, in 1972, a family of five kids, not a single goddamn one of them is wearing a pair of denim blue jeans? What the fuck is that? They had all that showbiz money. Oh, man. Showbiz people don't wear blue jeans. <laughs> well, we've been talking about the cast. I've got some more notes about them. Let's kind of run through all this Do and it. continue this. So back to top of the heap. Shirley Jones, of course, she was in Oklahoma, Carousel, The Music Man. She was a classically trained soprano. How many times did Shirley Jones say, who else has an Oscar on set? Oh, yep. thank you. She does have an Oscar, doesn't she? Uh-huh. She won in 1960 for Elmer Gantry, Best Supporting Actress, for her role as a vengeful prostitute. 
against a confidence man and his female evangelist girlfriend selling religion to small town America. Starring Burt Lancaster, Gene Simmons. This was Best Supporting Actress the year before Rita Moreno won it for West Side Story. And this was before Kiss for Gene Simmons, so. <laughs> Correct. Uh, at the time of this, she is currently married to Jack Cassidy, whom she married in 1956. She would eventually divorce him in 1975. Speaking of gentlemen who love the drink, speaking of David Cassidy, wherever does he get it from? Uh, but uh, David Cassidy, as we said before, is her stepson. His mother is actress Evelyn Ward. He was six when Shirley and Jack married. And Shirley Jones and Jack Cassidy went on to have three children. Sean Cassidy, pop star from the 70s, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, to do run run. Woof. Mm. And oh, yeah, he could get it. Even Sean today, Cassidy. Sean Cassidy could get it. And honestly, Patrick Cassidy, his brother... Patrick Cassidy, more of a Broadway guy, didn't really have any pop stardom. But uh, if you listen to the original cast album of Assassins, he is the original balladeer in the Stephen Sondheim musical from 1991. And uh, at the time of David's death, I think he was, was he playing Beast in Beauty and the Beast in Jupiter, Florida, at one of the regional theaters down here? He's still working. He's still a leading man. Great singer. And then their youngest brother, Ryan. Ryan does not have any uh, front of house fame. He is apparently a set decorator. Oh, so the gay one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. And uh, please forgive me, dear listeners, if at any point you have heard me refer to Shirley Jones in the past tense, because Shirley Jones is very much alive and very much well. She is 88 years old and she is still. Fucking gorgeous. There, there was a storyline on the Drew Carey show. I'm not saying she's young. I'm not the saying Drew Carey, the Drew Carey show was 30 years ago, David. But be that as it may, there was, <laughs> was a time in the on the 90s. There was a time on the Drew Carey show when she played Drew Carey's older woman love interest. And, you know, even back then it was like, God damn, she and you can tell she hasn't had anything done. But are you high? No, she's a... David, her face is it, it's so full of filler. She's no! 80, she's 88, which Some means people 30 people age well, Matthew. Not many and of Sh them. Shirley Jones is not one of them. David, no. I, can, I can spot plastic surgery at a thousand paces. I was friends with Joan Rivers, for God's sake. <laughs> Well, you I'm need to be a thousand paces away. You could be in the next state. Shirley Jones. I'm pulling up her eye. Oh, for the love, David. That is not the face of an 88-year-old woman. No, because she's so youthful mm -hmm. and gorgeous. Okay, look at those fucking cheeks. Matthew? Those are not her cheeks, honey. Well, here's the deal. If she was like a plastic surgery whore, why... Why does she have wrinkles around her eyes? Why are her eyelids hooded? Why does she have skin around her neck? Because she's 88, David. That is pre-surgery. Absolutely. Okay? If those lids had not had surgery, what would they look like at 88? Not what they look like in the next picture, where her eyes are much smaller, pulled back. 
she looks almost Asian in this picture. I, and, okay, if you say so, I clearly I don't have at, as good an eye. Look at how pug her nose is in that black and white picture. And look at how not pug it is in the newer pictures. Mm-hmm. Well, she looks like she had that nose thinned down a little bit. That ain't her chin. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, then I guess it's not had any work done. A woman in Hollywood at 88 hasn't had work done, David. It does okay. exist. Elaine Stritch didn't have anything done. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh God. All right. Well, we'll I guess I'll have to go on record saying that whatever work she's had done looks incredibly natural because to me, she, like you say, she's 88. She looks 88. She doesn't look like a Joan Rivers 88 or, you know, the, the women who have the pullback faces or the cosmetic surgery that's released and uh, come loose over time. Like something's come untied, but Okay, I will take your word for it. I have no I have no way to Google it and verify it. So now moving on, David Cassidy is Keith Partridge. He's about 23 here, playing like he's still in high school, I think. He's kind of doing a Michael J. Fox. Um, very sexy. I mean, the the fact that people lost their shit over him and the sex appeal, uh yeah, it is totally there. I get it. You think his acting sounds like he's on Darva set? Maybe I just wasn't listening because I'm looking at it going, damn, for a for a 23-year-old dude, like at the top of his game, at the top of his fame, a fucking recording star and a TV star. Yeah, I get it. My sister had the, okay, you know when you'd get the, the Tiger Beat magazine and yes. they would have the poster that unfolds into fourths? Yes. So it is yes. four times the size of a Tiger Beat. Yes. And then you would cut the mouth out. No, 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 and different. No, would, no, no. My what? sister was four. No, uh, different. No, no. <laughs> I wasn't buying Tiger Beat when I was four. <laughs> Sorry. You were playing something else, Beat. By, by the time I was done with that David Cassidy poster, it looked like a Jackson Pollock painting. <laughs> and they did it four times in a row. And then if you flip them over, those four fit together to make a gigantic poster that mm. was 16 times the size of an eight and a half by 11 magazine. My sister had it on her wall in her bedroom. Oh. And maybe that might be what made me gay. Possibly. Possible. Very, oh. very possible. What was that big giant picture of? Just his face? Yeah, just his face, yeah. It wasn't of the Rolling Stone picture. No, not the pubic, no. Oh, that would have been something worth collecting. <laughs> All of the tiger beats that made up that poster. Now we're, <laughs> now we're talking. And of the many anecdotes uh, in him talking about getting the role, he said that his thought, the thought process that went through his brain when they called him and said that he got the part of Keith Partridge, what went through his mind was, great. I can pay my rent next month. Uh, it was going to be real difficult to bother your Oscar winning mother <laughs> and your Broadway star. Yeah. Uh, Tony award winning dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Jesus. Susan Day plays Lori Partridge. She also became a slightly lesser pop star. Very pretty. Got that perfect, uh, really supernatural 1970s innocent look. And uh, she also was on, you know, the, the teen magazines, the Tiger Beats. And she would go on to do L.A. Law in the 1980s and be really respected as a more uh, dramatic actress. And uh, she is currently 69 years old and has worked as recently as 2014. Any other thoughts about Susan Day? Uh, she, like my grandma said, she must have had a gold one. What? <laughs> uh, she doesn't exactly pop out of the screen at you in this. Uh, and, and the costuming ain't helping her either. We, mm. we have so much to talk about with the costuming. Holy shit. Uh, Danny Bonaducci, what can I say? Troubled Nothing. kid, uh, reality show boxing and wrestling he's a radio show host currently i believe and just uh he was oh and he's the son of veteran tv writer and producer joseph bonaducci who worked on the dick van dyke show in one day at a time and others uh chris and tracy the two youngest kids who gives a shit yeah they are completely extraneous they serve no purpose i'm, I'm not kidding matthew when the school counselor said uh, Danny's problem could be that he's the middle child. I momentarily said, no, he's not. Oh, wait a minute. That's right. There are five kids. I, Chris and Tracy are so, I mean, they, they the writing is not doing them any favors. But when you're like, when you're on the set and you're thinking, God, I wish I could get some fucking comedy gold written for me like that Bobby and Cindy over on the Brady Bunch set. I mean, it's just completely they are the appendix of this show you could you could do a re-release of the series and omit them all together and you would not know the fucking difference no and in the final credit also starring dave madden as reuben kincaid mm -hmm. and this was before um he went on to football fame y yeah don madden oh yeah you, you know your sports, Matthew. I got to give you that. People don't understand what a, what a ball freak I am. Yeah. And, and of course, I'm a big fan of the paintings, you know, the still lifes, the, the, you know, the Reuben Kincaid galleries, the painter of light, as they called him. How interesting he would go on to that artistical career after managing the Partridge family for all those years. Mm. I have some of his um, jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> The ones with the Disney characters in it. Mm -hmm. How did I know that? Um, I don't recall there ever being anything romantic between him and Shirley. It was a joke in the Saturday Night Live sketch. And the epilogue of this show, I, I, I was, I did sit there and go, I, I don't think there was ever anything. But, but wow, what, what weird interaction they have at the end when he's holding up some type of a quilt thing that surely is cutting like the, the extra threads out of it, it was, yeah. it was something abnormally domestic. And then when Shirley goes up to look at the purchases that Lori bought, he just stays. And when Danny walks over to him, he's still futzing with this quilt. It's like, are you their music manager? What the, this is a thing that, uh, you know, a single mother's boyfriend does. 
I, I, I didn't get that, but I, maybe I'm wrong. Listeners, if you know something and remember this better than I do, was there ever anything romantic between Shirley and Ruben? I, I don't believe there ever was. So Your guess is as good as mine. Yep. And we lost Dave Madden, of course, in 2014 at the age of 82. And uh, we also have some guest stars on this episode. I'll talk about them when we get to them. And it was seventy. It was seventy four. So he was probably a pussy hound looking at him. <laughs> by, by the looks of him, he was probably just laying him down. <laughs> Bernie Capel. They probably had huge orgies. He <laughs> and Dick Van Patten and Bernie Capel. They were the pussy posse of the seventies, uh, man. <laughs> um. Lastly, I have to say I loved and still do love. The school bus, the mm. Mondrian inspired pattern, which I did not know that that's what that was when I started. I did. did you? I did. Wow. Because I did a play a long time ago, David, called Take Her, She's Mine, where I played the father. And in it, to get his mind off the fact that his daughter has gone to school, gone away to school, he's taking up different hobbies. And one of them was a painter. And I had to paint a Mondrian on stage well mm -hmm. uh, that that's something i did not know about you my wife was played by the wonderful Didi khan <laughs> beauty school dropout herself <laughs> yeah but it's all the wonderful uh straight black lines all the boxy squares with all the primary colors i just love it and it is the 70s man it really is so uh, we ready to talk about this actual episode now that we've been talking for an hour about everything else? Well, I think what we've talked about basically covers the the Partridge family in itself, don't you, David? I mean, as far as this episode goes, it's I doubt that it's any different than the things that we've discussed about the about the Partridge family already. So this has been lovely. Right? No, this has not been lovely. It hasn't been, been close to lovely. I have so much more to discuss. Oh, jeez. We're going to talk about that fucking kitchen for 45 minutes. <laughs> That's just the kitchen. I had huge problems with the set. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I, That's an interesting set. It's because like, like, and I was trying to think of another episode where they're in the kitchen and you can see down the hall into the dining room. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to think like, what other shows have like the main set, but you see more of the house behind them. It, it, I, and you could see the dining room from the living room as well. You know, and, and the kitchen had the 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 1970s pass-through yeah, counter window and stuff. But yeah, everybody. no, it was kind of an early version of an open concept, wasn't it? Well, it, it, it yeah, it it was like it was almost like the office in the fact that like it's like a one camera sitcom. I, mm -hmm. I don't I don't know. I was so weirded out by how the set was. <laughs> Because well, it was, was so small. It was so small. Oh, really? How many steps? That living room, like they take like two steps. And then in the kitchen, she, she takes Danny and um, what's her guts and goes, come over here so they can be alone. And they take two steps. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, much safer distance right there, Cheryl. All mm -hmm. right. Oh, good yep. direction right there. 
that could have anyway anyway but oh, oh so okay that, the yep, kitchen that. though with the yellow walls the paneled wood cabinets and the avocado green appliances oh 70s-tastic <sighs> and by 70s-tastic i mean fugly beyond expression oh Thankfully, I didn't grow up with the avocado green appliances. We had the Harvest Gold kitchen. That was oh, our no. thing at my uh, house. Ours were green. Oh, you, you had the avocado green? Mm-hmm. Shut up! You must the, have felt right at the, home. The stove, the stove and, the, and the fridge. And I remember my mother when she finally had to get a new fridge, because this is back when you would buy a fridge and they lasted 25 years. Goddamn right. Because they were a Maytag. Um, but I remember when she finally had to get a new refrigerator. She was so pissed that green that, had been discontinued for fifteen years. You can only find you can only find a gosh darn refrigerator in almond and white. Ah, ah. Hey, mama, welcome to the eighties. Uh, oh, 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 oh. And her being like, her being like, oh, it just shows the dirt. God. Damn it. First of all, when was anybody the last time anybody was visiting your house, mother? That <laughs> when was the last time you had Jackie O over? It's gonna be like, hey, this refrigerator is filthy. <laughs> now you've got other friends from Fort Wayne that look at that and go, that's classy. Anyway, what let happened? me attempt to go through specifics of the fashion. There's oh, so much to talk. I mean, I could do an entire hour-long podcast just about the fashion. Uh, Shirley's clothes, at the very least, they fit her well. They are flattering to her body. Shirley Jones, is she's 39 here, and she is gorgeous. And uh, one thing that stood out to me in that very first outfit, red belt, navy blue pants. Red and navy blue, also found in the Mondrian art, by the way, that was such a popular color combo. You see it all over Mary Tyler Moore. Mary Tyler Moore constantly wearing solid red, solid navy blue. That just to me is the young part of my childhood. That is when I see that color combination, I am immediately six years old again. It's, mm. it's insanity. Uh, Lori has on uh, a part gingham, part ruffle D maternity top in the first scene. It's like, okay, she is a teenaged girl. She's like 17 or 18 here. She probably weighs 85 pounds. And they've got her in this big old blousey top. It's ridiculous. Um, and like I said, no one's ever in blue jeans. Keith at least has a short sleeve, like a polo, but it's got a zipper instead of the buttons. That was a very 70s thing. Mm -hmm. And um, later he's seen in a short sleeve horizontal knit shirt. Danny's got the horizontal stripes, which I've always referred to as Bobby Brady stripes because that's what they always put the kids in the Brady Bunch in. So then the second day when Shirley's got her appointment with the with the school psychologist, we haven't even talked about the plot of this yet. I'm sorry. Let's just do, why don't we need to do the, the synopsis, everything. Matthew, would you please help us out and give us a loose synopsis of the show? Oh my God. Um... Danny's acting out at skill and Shirley Jones has to take some interesting roads to fix it. Mm -hmm. And may I add to that, 
that she has to see the school psychologist played by whom, Matthew? Oh my goodness, it's Charlotte Ray. It's Mrs. Garrett. Mrs. Partridge. Mm. He's a boy acting up. I'm used to working with girls. Anyway. Uh, um, They could have had any other actress play that part. You, You don't think that she was memorable in this role? No. And she could have been. You hire Charlotte Ray at that time in her career. I would have thought we're getting some wacky, like, like psychiatrist that pulls like pencils out of her hair. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like her desk was messy. That was a whole plot point. But like she was, I, I, I just wanted her to be like, have you heard about permissive? I just wanted her to be a little again pick up she she took the the Keith Partridge route they gave her a quaalude before she started (laughs) there could have been any other actress playing that part there was no nowhere in the script to say a Charlotte Ray type no you're right I think she is marvelously subdued here I kind of like that about her performance that She's not being, because we've talked about how many times when she goes wacky, it sometimes kind of goes a little too far. We do get the Charlotte Ray special. Too broad for the Partridge family. Too broad for the Partridge family. Goddamn right. Let's take a watch. Let's take a clip of um, Shirley Jones playing the harpsichord at the end. (laughs) You bring up the, uh, the thing about the messy desk. That's the only idiosyncratic or weird thing. And I guess it's because... We need this character to bond with Shirley. We need this character not to be a Mrs. Partridge. This is the problem, and here is what you need to do to solve it. We needed to make sure the empathy was there and the warmth was there. And I think that's those are two wonderful traits that Charlotte Ray always brings to every performance. And the one kind of bonding moment that is off topic from the Danny problem of Danny needing too much attention and Danny being disruptive at school is she says, let me look at his file again. And there's a shot of her reaching underneath a pile of shit on her desk and whoop pulls it out. And Shirley actually says to her, wow, uh, I, I don't know how people do that. That's, that's miraculous to me or something to that effect. And Charlotte Ray says, Uh, Well, it's mostly self-preservation. Keep your desk messy so no one can find anything. Makes me indispensable. As she does the futzing with her hair behind her ear, her sort of uh, Mae West, oh, come up and see me thing with the hair, with the making sure your hair is in place. That is a Charlotte Ray special. We see her pull that out of her bag of tricks so many times throughout her career. Uh, and that's the only time I feel like we get her bag of tricks. I mean, we get a little bit of the squinty eyes. We get the wrinkling of the nose. Uh, but I think particularly when she says um, there is a theory that middle children go through different stuff than other kids. And Shirley says, do you believe that theory? And Charlotte says, I steer away from theories and rules. I like to treat children as individuals. You don't think that she brought a little something to delivering a line like that, knowing that at this time, her older son 
Andy is having a terrible time at one of the facilities where she had to put him because he is so severely autistic. And I think later they discover schizophrenic. I mean, she's been struggling for over a decade with a special needs child herself. So I felt like maybe, I mean, again, I'm reading more into it probably than is there. <laughs> she was also, I think, at the height of her alcoholism too. So who's to say that wasn't going on? At the end of this, I remember thinking, oh, David's going to love this because it's just 100% Mrs. Garrett's superpower mm -hmm. of, of doing what she does. How dare they, though? My thought was she could have two levels she could be completely batshit and still bring it down and and allow Shirley to be like, oh, I'm weirdly connected. Oh, this insane person is very, very smart. Like the fine line between insanity and genius. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So I, I would have liked to see more of that. Like her like, I can't find a thing on this table. Going through tables and be like, ah, oh, here it is. Would have Would have made me just as happy for her to be like, okay, here's this file, blah, blah, blah. I think he has middle child syndrome. But but by saying that, she is giving in to a theory, David. Mm -hmm. So yes. for her to say, I don't follow theories. But the whole theory you just said was that he's a middle child syndrome. No, no. But then she says that. And then, but then after that, she does say, but there might be some validity to that. And here's how we can find out. And that's where she suggests the permissiveness. So I didn't have any problem with this scene. I was a little puzzled when we went to the final shot where Charlotte sees her out, uh, that she was sitting behind her desk and then we had a bunch of close-ups. We went back to the wide coverage shot. She was behind the desk with her legs crossed <laughs> and her skirt was coming up a little bit. And I'm like, why would you be sitting at a desk? Why would you say, I mean, she wasn't leaning back in a, relaxed position she was just sitting at the desk with her legs crossed i was like that's just so weird with her little stumpy legs that kind of don't really cross forgive me but uh anyway that was wow. a little weird to me but uh, i did i i agree with everything you've said that they could have done a much more multi-layered and more comedically effective job with writing that scene but you saw everything else on this show right you you see the competency level of these writers on display. Yes. That, that won't gonna be happening. Mm. By the way, Charlotte Ray is 46 years old here. Oh my goodness, David. Mm -hmm. She's younger than you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um then the day that Shirley has to go to meet with the doctor, the school psychologist, about Danny, initially we see Shirley in brown pants, a brown long sleeve dress shirt and a mustard beige short sleeve sweater. Ugh. And of course, the collar way out over, and the collar is about 45 inches long. <laughs> when we see her in Charlotte Ray's office, she's still wearing this, but she has added a plaid blazer with a white background. And the stripes and the zigzags of the plaid pattern are red and navy blue again plus the beige gold that matches the short sleeve sweater. So, okay, I'll give it to you that there is a little color tie in here, but, but the background is white and the neutral of the outfit underneath is brown. It, it's like, what, what is going on here? And then later when she goes back to see Charlotte the second time, Shirley is wearing 
a white skirt, white below the waist, where previously we saw her in brown pants. She's wearing a white skirt, a white dress shirt, a red sweater, and a navy blue and white gingham jacket. And a red, white, and blue flower pin on the lapel. What? Well, you know, the question I'm going to ask next, and I've asked this on the Facts of Life, what season is this? You're in California. Why are you wearing brown pants one day, and the next day you're wearing a fucking white skirt above the knee? Oh, David, I just can't believe that of all the things with this episode that is even on your top 100 list <laughs> of what fucking season it is there. Oh, Jesus Christ, David. <laughs> well, Lori at one point is wearing an over jacket like teenage girls would wear in the 70s, a blue over jacket with gigantic red buttons and massive pockets with flaps. Uh, Lori's outfit that more, it looks like a joke comic cartoon version of what someone would modern day create as a hilarious exaggeration of an ugly 70s jacket it's like nope this one's already there and i may or may not have had one that looked like that shut up anyway it's obviously some sort of lovely summer day and that because they do go out into the park and we have to watch deep um david cassidy like like re i just come on pda all right the, not I mean, sucking yeah. face with the girl doing a fake makeout kissing but you're in the middle of the park and every every time it's like literally going right for it like not and i was like okay okay awkward like you're in the middle of the park weirdo that bothered me more than what season it was, David. Oh, okay. <laughs> that wow. That bothered me more than what season it was. Well, okay. You see, that didn't bother me because I'm just like, well, they're kind of, yeah, they're out in the open, but it's not like they're right next to people. It's not like they're in an elevator. And I loved that that was going to be a plot point to make Danny with all the permissiveness and all the things they allow Danny to do to act like an adult and tag along with the older kids. It was like, yeah, you can already tell. Danny is not the kind of kid who's going to be intrigued with you know all that lovey-dovey kissy stuff so i was like oh yeah keith this is what you do buddy get them lips working and we'll get this kid fixed up and back to his old self because who doesn't love a great big problem like an unruly disruptive child in school that can't be solved in 25 minutes you know who doesn't love it yep um I, I don't know if I, I'm I'm skimming my notes to find any other fashion things. Did you like the fact that Danny poured milk from the carton and left the carton on the counter? Did you notice yep, that? Yeah, notice that. Notice that. Yeah. Notice the prop work. Yeah, we just had our rant about the the juice and the milk in the separate pitcher brought out to the dining room and sitting out in the open for four hours. At least it was in a milk carton. True. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. Oh, because, you know, Shirley ain't got nothing else to do, apparently. Nope. She's got to trim the quilt later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Ruben, want to come over later? Help me trim my quilt. My quilts are getting a little fuzzy over here, Ruben. (laughs) (laughs) You were great last night. My quilt is all frayed around the edges, if you know what I'm talking about. 
Okay, too far. What? Too far. No. no. Oh, wow. Seriously, there's the line of good taste, David. And I know my toe has been on that line. <laughs> <laughs> yep, about a mile behind you. Uh, the boy that plays Lori's date that uh, Danny kind of takes over because he's into baseball cards and Lori is angry. Now, there was part of the performance from Lori where I was like, ooh, Lori trying to play oh i'm so i'm i'm not saying words i'm just having to play that i'm mad at danny face that was a little cringe yeah but i'm like i'm like so angry at you guys right now <laughs> uh i'm like angry the most you guys uh <laughs> but the actor who plays richard Lori's date is bruce kimmel Bruce Kimmel would go on to be a big time producer of Broadway uh, cast albums, including uh, one of the Hello Dolly cast albums. 30th anniversary. Is that him? Did he produce that? Yeah. But yeah, more of a Broadway thing. He wrote and uh, co-directed and played a role in a, a, what is considered, I believe, a cult movie uh, from 1976 called the first nudie musical. This is about uh, a porn studio that's about to go under. So they decide to make a musical and there are also musical songs within it. It's not just songs from the thing. Anyway, it's available Matthew on freebie. And I will tell you from 1976, I was very surprised. You see two penises in it. You see 147 snatches, but it's like, <laughs> You know, it's that thing of this. I'm like, okay, this is a movie from the 70s. There's going to be no dicks in here. It's going to be all boobs. And and I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, wow, that's two dicks more than I thought uh, I would catch in it. And I, I didn't watch it with a great amount of interest or attention. I had it kind of going in the background, but it's there on freebie. And yeah, it's pretty uh, awful. You can see how it was a cult movie. Cindy Williams is in it right at the time she was starting on Laverne and Shirley. No, thank you. No, she's not naked in it. No, she's not naked, but no, thank you. Um, anyway, uh, that's, that's him. The girls that play the girlfriends, uh, not really anybody super famous. Danny state. Her name is Patty Cahoon. C O H O O N as Gloria. She would uh, go on to do some other roles and some soaps and all that type of thing. Uh, but the more interesting actor, Maggie Wellman, who plays Molly, the girl that Keith is sucking face with, she, mm. uh, she is the daughter of veteran film director William Wellman. No. William Wellman is the one who wrote and directed the Janet Gaynor, A Star is Born. Well, I wondered how she got the part. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, he won, and that won the first, and another one of his movies was the first winner for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, and uh, he won the Oscar for directing A Star is Born, and because the story was originally his, I think he had some other screenwriters write it, but when you see any other iteration of it, when you see the Judy Garland, the Barbara Streisand, the Lady Gaga, all of them credit from the story by William Wellman, which is kind of bizarre. So this is his daughter. She's 21 here. 
I wondered why they weren't really kissing, kissing, why we never actually saw their lips. They just did the face on, you know, turning the head. So you see the back of the hair and it they think it looks real when it clearly doesn't. I was like, well, is maybe she underage? Did they get a real 16 or 17 year old girl like that ever stopped anybody in the 70s? Yeah. But no, she is of age. And girl, you're on set with David fucking Cassidy. Yeah, my tongue would have been down his throat. Hells yeah. I'd have been like, no, I'm not feeling a uh, director. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I really think for my character and for the realism, the Stanislavski method of doing it for real kind of would need to apply here. I would have been like, I am a method actress, David Cassidy. So I want you to put your tongue down my throat and your finger in my crack. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're in a public park making out, make it real. Yeah. <laughs> Just like you would do if this were real life. Yep. We're clearly into people watching. So have at it. <laughs> anyway, suffice it to say, through the course of the plot of this, Danny becomes more of a pain in the ass than he already is in every episode. And then uh, he eventually realizes that being an adult is not all it's cracked up to be. Speaking of cracks, Matthew. Uh, so that then he decides he quote unquote wants to go back to being a kid and later in the epilogue we learn that things are better in school he's talking less and being less disruptive and Shirley says but he's talking more at home so <laughs> but before we get the epilogue after we get the resolution of the plot Matthew we need not forget that the Partridge family is at its very core a musical sensation yes so yes, we yes, get yes, to yes, see yes. them perform. <laughs> yes. So the music portion, sometimes they'll have rehearsals of the songs be integrated into the plot. Like you'll see them in the garage and they'll sing, you know, three fifths or four fifths of a song. And then there'll be a knock on the garage door and they'll stop. And they'll be like, okay, that was enough. That's, we just gave them a taste of it. Well, with this completely separate from the action of the show, they sing uh, in a, on a black sound stage with some show lights behind them and then later some canned applause. So allegedly this is a live performance of some sort. Uh, they sing the hit song, Am I Losing You? And some of the lyrics do kind of apply to the show. And a couple times Keith and Shirley have glances back and forth with Danny that do a little bit punctuate that, okay, this, this song is being performed in this show, maybe with some intent behind it. But uh, yeah, this is where we see the uh, handheld camera work. This is where we see truly, I think truly, the electric stage presence of, of David Cassidy. And I'm not being facetious when I say that. I mean, he when he is singing, when he's singing, uh, he really is. He he just lights up really and truly. He is a great performer. You get why he got famous. Everybody else, though, trying to watch Tracy beat on that tambourine. Chris faking the drums and Danny playing the the damn. And two harpsichords. Two. I think, yeah, that's that's a little weird. The song Am I Losing You is from their sixth album, The Partridge Family Shopping Bag. And the it was what? written, The Partridge Family Shopping Bag. It sounded like you said The Fartridge Family. Oh, Maybe I did. I'll have to the, listen. The, the Fartridge family. <laughs> you are a child. Oh, I'm writing that. 
I'm writing that. (laughs) That's our next Fringe show. It was written by Erwin Levine and L. Russell Brown, who also wrote the Partridge Family hit, I Woke Up in Love This Morning. And then they would go on to write for Tony Orlando and Don. Knock three times and tie a yellow ribbon. Literally, their two biggest hits. So they got some big hits under their belt. He had a style. Yeah, true. Um, He had his moments. He had his style. Uh, Oh, and while they're singing in concert, of course, they're in their performance dress. More fashion. Seafoam green matching polyester tops with a Southwest pattern. I, I did not think it could get uglier and that all those words could ever be uttered in the same description of an article mm-hmm. clothing. And yet here we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about the epilogue with Ruben and the quilt and the sort of wrapping it up where now suddenly Gloria, Danny's friend, who's a girl is going to do girl stuff with the girls. And Danny's now left out in the cold and last word from Ruben, older, young kid, never try to figure out women. <laughs> Can I please say then the thing that I picked up on right from the moment it started and then it drove me nuts for the rest of the show. David, as we just said, you can't figure out a woman. Ha ha. There was no need for a ha ha because the laugh track on this show. Oh, rivals the big bang theory yeah every other line gets a laugh track and there were times when it was just conversation and you could hear they threw in like a like a one person going (laughs) yeah oh yeah it is heavily Uh, and brady bunch did that too people forget that brady bunch had a terrible laugh track also I think it was a different production company, so it was a different sounding audience. But it was the ABC yeah. production company, David. It was Paramount, wasn't that? Paramount was the Brady's. But anyway, point of the story is all I could hear was that goddamn laugh track, how yeah. inappropriate it was. It wasn't even like the Big Bang Theory, like where it's uproarious laughter. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was like 10 people going, <laughs> Uh, yeah Yeah, they've got those 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 subtler laughs to make sure that they're not just these isolated bursts and you're like who's who the fuck's job i mean was it was someone's job like the sound editor i guess to do it every other line yeah okay we're gonna give it like you know we're gonna give it a gonna give it a number two a two laugh here this joke that's a 10 we're gonna give it the 10 laugh and this is a callback they were like well keith's on quaaludes so Let's make it sound like the audiences too. So they're all on the same, same level. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, it took me out. So that's all I have to say about the Partridge family. I cannot, but I am, I feel so honored to have popped your Partridge cherry uh. with this. And uh, have you watched any others? Are you inspired no, now? No, not a one. Not there are some. This one, Rob Reiner's a guest on one. You see some, you know, people before they were famous. Nope, don't care. Yeah, 
Wow. Just for, for the pure performance of Charlotte Ray and Shirley Jones, I give it one Talkaholic chip. I give it one. Only one out of five? <clears throat> out of five. Oh my God. Uh, my talk, I hadn't, I genuinely had not thought of what would my talkaholic chip rating be. Um, I think I will give this uh, from, you know, six year old David would give this 16 out of five. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to give it to three. I will give it three. Um, if, um, I'm, I'm hemming and hawing whether it's only two and a half. And uh, oh, those avocado green appliances, two and a half, two and a half talkaholic chips out of five. But three is fair. I mean, you're coming at it with a nostalgia as well that I am not coming at it with. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I actually lived in a time where I remember people dressing like that. My mother had a plaid blazer. It was different color scheme, but she had this bizarre plaid blazer that I've seen in pictures lately. And I'm like, what? What fucking was that? Oh, it was 1974. There we go. No, thank you. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, Tutti Fruities, we want to thank you as always for supporting the show, for supporting this, for supporting us, and let's face the facts. And uh, we, as always, we we always do this kind of flying by the seat of our pants. We have no idea what we're going to do next month. Your guess is as good as ours. Uh, Your suggestion may be as good as used if you want to suggest something. Let's find something good. Let's find something that we like for the next time. I don't want to tear shit apart for two hours. Well, you know I, I mean, mean, I, I, I did. <laughs> I'm aware that the last 90 minutes have me been tearing this to shreds. And this is something I fucking love. Um, but no, no, I agree with you. Let's find something. Yeah. We need to find some more high school USA kind of stuff where we're just, yeah. Something, something with a good Crispin Glover performance in it. So that's another TV Talkaholics on the books, kids. We hope you enjoyed it half as much as we enjoyed recording this for you. Eh. Hey, hey, hey. Enjoyed is a strong word, David. Yeah, well. uh, What parting, what words are you going to part me with? We're going to leave you with these parting words for all of our Patreon supporters. Membership has its privileges and you get what you pay for. Bye. David. I think I love you. So what am I so afraid of? (laughs) This love there is no cure for. We'll make you happy. Oh, so. No, more about gel coat. When the fourth. Don't you call in the. More importantly, 